This is the Savvy Investor Radio Podcast with Mike Kinnett, a financial planner and estate planning attorney with a master's degree in taxation, and Ryan Herbert, financial and tax planner and six-time five-star wealth management award winner. Now, the Savvy Investor Podcast. Today on the Savvy Investor Podcast, we're going to talk about mutual funds. We wanted to delve into the conversation of mutual funds today, specifically because so many people use this as the primary source of their investment vehicles, between 401ks and 457s and retirement plans, and what people actually do individually, and and, and quite honestly, what I think too many financial advisors recommend, mutual funds. and, And at the end of the day, I'm not sure people really understand exactly how these vehicles work. They see them in the news, mm-hmm. they see them on television, they see all those advertisements for them. But you know, I, I think when it boils down to them, they don't understand how is it possible that, you know, how the fees structure works. How do they make money in them? What what is the cash drag of a mutual fund? How is it possible that when the mutual funds go down and they lose money in the stock market, they're still getting a tax bill. And we wanted to really delve into that today on the show so that people, like you said, Michael, could be better stewards of their money so they can make a better informed decision when it comes to investing. So what's the first thing that we need to know? How do these, how do these things work? The problem with mutual funds is they're so widely available. People use them for everything. And for most people, it's the only option. So they don't really bother to dive into whether or not they might be the, the best choice for me and the best choice for my retirement dollars. And if you think about it from this perspective, I mean, just to, just to boil it down to the simplest form, a mutual fund is basically... If you can visualize this, mm-hmm. a mutual fund is basically a big basket with stocks and or bonds in it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, when you actually look at it, that's all it is. Some person is deciding to put together a basket and they put a bunch of stocks and bonds in it and offer it to other people to sell. So we're going to use Fidelity just as a name. There's hundreds of mutual fund companies out there. But so when I refer to Fidelity, it's not a reference to Fidelity being good, bad, or otherwise. They're just a talking point for our conversation. So let's think about it for just a minute. There's a manager who runs this mutual fund, right? I mean, most mutual funds are what are called actively managed. Mm -hmm. And there's a manager deciding which stocks and bonds to buy inside that mutual fund. And when the manager is deciding which stocks and bonds to buy in that mutual fund, he has to do that according to the prospectus, right? And and if you've ever bought a mutual fund, you always get a prospectus in the mail. Maybe the advisor gave you a prospectus ahead of time. Uh, Maybe they emailed it to you, but you got this prospectus. And this thing is, I don't know, you know, 50, 100 pages long. And and quite frankly, if you've ever tried to read one, you know, you probably (laughs) got in a car accident or fell asleep or, you know, died, something like that. Yeah, you need a microscope. Yeah, they're, they're horrible. Yeah. So convoluted. But here's the general gist of it. And I'm not telling you not to read the prospectus, but but certainly don't drive afterwards. But you have a manager and he's deciding what to buy inside this mutual fund, what stocks, what bonds. And he has some parameters. And so, like, let's just use Fidelity Blue Chip as an example. Fidelity Blue Chip says you have to have 80 percent of your money invested in blue chip stocks which means that manager has to go buy 80% of the portfolio in blue chip stocks. Now, the other 20% is at his discretion. And what does he do with that other 20%? Heck, he could have it in cash. He could buy technology. He could buy international. He could buy emerging markets. He could buy commodity. He could buy whatever he wants in there, which, of course, might not be what you think he's buying because it says blue chip. Right. And you're thinking that you own blue chips when actually 20% of your portfolio could be, well, sitting in cash. That's a distinct possibility. Now, from the next perspective, this manager who is is running it, he tells you to measure his success. He says, 
in order for you to determine whether I am doing a good job or a bad job, measure me against some sort of indice. And the indice could be, you know, the Russell 1000, the, the, the Dow, the S&P, all these different index funds that you hear about and you see in the news that, you know, the Russell was up, the NASDAQ was up, the S&P was up, whatever it is. Those are indices. And that manager tells you to measure me against those. And I'm not making this up, Michael. If you go Google this, if you Google what percentage of mutual fund managers outperform their indice, it's something like 70 to 75% underperform. Wow. They underperform the indice that they say to measure themselves against. Now, to be fair, I'm not saying that they underperform because they're bad managers, although I'm sure there are bad managers. Sometimes that underperformance has nothing to do with their actions. Sometimes it's the investors that are forcing him to sell positions that he may or may not want to be selling at any given time. But before we even get there, let's think about it a minute longer. We have this mutual fund manager that is deciding which stocks and bonds to buy for this mutual fund. And when he's buying them, 70 to 75% of the time, he underperforms the indice that he measures himself against. And here's the kicker. You are paying him a fee to 70 to 75% of the time underperform. Wow. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Why would you pay a fund manager on average about 1%? I mean, if you go to like the SEC webpage, they say average mutual funds about 1%. And certainly you can find them cheaper. Certainly they're more expensive. But I, I think the rule of thumb is it's about 1% to own a mutual fund from the management side of things. But why would you pay him 1%? You know, from our perspective, why would you not just buy a passive index fund if you want somebody to mimic the S&P 500? Because, of course, you can't actually own the S&P. You can own something that mimics it. If you want to own something that resembles the S&P 500, why would you not just buy a passive index fund that mimics the S&P instead of some manager who says measure me against the S&P and then underperforms? So you're paying 1% to the manager to underperform, and that's not even all of the fees. There are transaction costs, there are advertising costs, there's capital gains and losses, and the only way to truly figure out what you're being charged is, number one, to read that insanely long prospectus, or you know, as we do with some of our clients, we actually call the companies. Oh, Richard, oh, I, I love Richard. Richard. You know, we, we teach classes and we do continuing education for clients all the time. And Richard came from one of our continuing education courses uh, at UMUC out in Rockville, I believe it was. And, and he's an engineer, so you can imagine he, how prepared he came. You know, when he sat down and, and listened to us talk about taxes and, and investments and income and all those things that we talk about at our, at our education workshops, he was enticed by us. He liked the idea of the tax planning and everything that we brought to the table. But because Ryan and I are fee-based financial planners, he was worried about coming in the office because, you know, even though Ryan and I are not big proponents of mutual funds, I mean, once in a while, a mutual fund may be the appropriate tool. Mm -hmm. For Ryan and I, we try to steer clients away from them for the most part. He was a huge mutual fund fan and he loved Vanguard. And to be fair, if you're going to use mutual funds, certainly Vanguard should be part of of your radar. You should look at Vanguard mutual funds as an option if you're going to use mutual funds. 
But Richard came into my office and we sat down and he had these spreadsheets. He had Venn diagrams and triangles and arrows and footnotes. And one page was going to the next page. I mean, it was, I mean, I think sometimes I overwhelm clients with, with information and he had, it must've been 15 pages to come up with what he was going to do. And And his approach was all about the taxes. His idea was he was going to take out about $7,500 a month from his investment so that he could wind up with about $6,000 a month after taxes. And what Ryan and I did is we sat down and and we showed him how we could take his portfolio, just tweak it a little bit, and we could really get him closer to $7,000 a month tax-free. So instead of sending you know $1,200 a month into Uncle Sam and, and, and the state of Maryland for taxes, we were going to let him keep that money and use it for himself. And we always feel that you're better off using your own money. But we'll talk about taxes on, on another podcast. But here's what happened. Richard was worried about paying a fee to a, an advisor, to a manager like Ryan and myself. So we got on the phone with Vanguard. And, and it, was a, it was just absolutely incredible. I call and I asked the Vanguard guy, I said, you know, hi, my name is Mike and I'm here with Richard. Do you remember talking to Richard last night? And of course the Vanguard guy said no, because you know, he wasn't the person to talk to Richard. But then the Vanguard guy said, but I can see Richard called in last night and he called about the expenses in his mutual funds. And I can see he's using those Wesleyan funds. And, and for him, it was 0.39% was his average fee. And I said, great. And Richard was smiling, big grin on his face because he had done his homework. He had done what he thought it was his due diligence and he thought he knew all the fees. And I said, uh, that's great, 0.39%. Are there any other fees involved? And the Vanguard guy said, no. And I said, what about 12B1 fees? And Richard kind of looked at me with these you know, bug eyes. He kind of opened up and said, you know, looked at me, questioned what I was talking about. And if you've never heard of 12B1 fees, you've seen them. And you've seen them because every time you see a commercial on television, if you've ever seen that little green arrow that takes you directly to your retirement, or if you happen to be walking in a park and you find a little string and you pull the string tight and at the end of the string, it has your number on it. Or if you ever see a little dog dancing on a balloon, or quite frankly, if you're ever in the kitchen cooking dinner, having a nice glass of wine and a little orange origami bunny starts talking to you. Well, first and foremost, you're probably drinking too much wine, but... (laughs) But those are all 12B1 fees. And in general, insurance companies, mutual fund companies, investment companies, uh, banks, all of them, all that advertising that they do, they have internal fees and they share that advertising cost with you as the investor. They're more than happy to share that expense of bringing you in the door with you. So you're paying for yourself to come in the door through those 12B1 fees. And I would say 12B1 fees are typically somewhere between a quarter of a percent. I've seen them as high as 1%, but I think a realistic uh, number is probably about a quarter of a percent to own them. And the Vanguard guy said, well, we don't have 12B1 fees. And I knew that because Vanguard is one of those mutual fund companies that don't do that. And I said, great. I said, what about transaction costs? And the Vanguard guy said, well, we're a no-load mutual fund. We don't pay commissions to uh, sell our product, to sell our, our mutual funds. And he's correct. They don't. And I knew that. And, and for people that are working with advisors that are getting paid commissions for selling you a mutual fund, and the way you can tell whether that advisor is getting paid a commission is that if you look at your mutual fund that you own, and it has either the letter A, the letter B, or the letter C after it, it means there's some sort of commission involved. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I asked the Vanguard guy, so no transaction costs? And he said, no. And I said, but wait a minute. Isn't a mutual fund basically a big basket with stocks and or bonds in it? 
And the Vanguard guy said, well, yeah, kind of. And I said, great. And I said, and when the manager, if your investors give him money to invest, doesn't he have to buy stocks or bonds? And the guy said, yeah. And I said, and when people want their money back, doesn't the manager have to buy more stocks and bonds? And the Vanguard guy said, yes. And I said, isn't there a cost associated with that? And the Vanguard guy said, yes. And I said, well, can you please tell Richard what that cost is? And the Vanguard guy said, no. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can Richard evaluate whether his mutual fund is a good investment, whether the cost structure is appropriate for the returns that he's getting? How can he determine that if he doesn't know what his fees are? And the Vanguard guy said, well, at the end of the year, we can tell him what his fees are. We can calculate him. We'll tell him what his fees are. And I said, perfect. At the end of one year, if you're unhappy, if he's unhappy with his fees, if he thinks he paid too much, are you going to refund him his fees? And the Vanguard guy said, no. Which, of course, was one of the reasons why Richard looked at us like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how much I'm paying in fees. And, and there's all sorts of software out there. You can do Bloomberg. You can do Morningstar. There's lots of places you can go to to look at the fees you're paying. But I would tell you, on average, you know, Morningstar tells us somewhere between about 1% to 2% for management fees. Transaction costs, typically 1% to 2%. Yeah, Mike. And when you're, you're talking about transaction costs, if they don't have a number that's disclosed, you can go on their website, you can go on Yahoo, you can go on personalfund.com, and you can look at their turnover ratio. And it's typically a percentage, anywhere from zero to 100% to anything north of that. And the rule of thumb, it, it's not 100% accurate, but a, a general rule of thumb is that 100% turnover ratio is equal to about 1%. So if it has a 50% turnover ratio, it's 0.5%. If it has a 150% turnover ratio, it's another 1.5% you're paying on top of that management cost. And that turnover ratio, what it really is, is how often, whenever people are taking money out of the fund or, or, or giving money to the fund, that's how often that fund manager is buying and selling all of the positions back and forth inside of his portfolio. Right. So, so not only do we have this turnover ratio, not only do we have the 12B1 fees, I mean, the fees just stack up, stack up, stack up. And Forbes, Forbes does this incredible analysis every year. If you remember earlier in the, in the podcast, we talked about um, what is called cash drag. You know, we talked about the blue chip growth fund from, from Fidelity. And we said, you know, by prospectus, it has to have 80% of its money in the blue chip. And I said, you know, where's the other 20%? And, you know, the manager has flexibility in what he does with it. And it could very well be sitting in cash. Forbes does a, a wonderful expose every year on you know 401k fees and mutual fund fees. But one of the things they also examine is cash drag in mutual funds. And according to Forbes, you're losing about 0.83% every year just to having too much cash in your portfolio. Now, from our perspective, if you want cash in your investments, if you want to be sitting in cash, that should be a proactive decision that you as the investor made, or even perhaps your advisor, the person you're working with who's given you advice. But if he or she or you have not decided that we wanted a position in cash, I mean, in 2008, at one point, we had 100% of our portfolio in cash. Now, we did that because we wanted to be in cash because we were trying to avoid all the market crashing. And, and it made perfect sense to be in cash. But there are times when I don't want to be in cash. And even though some fund manager might have 20% of the portfolio in cash, that's not what I want. So like in 2017, if blue chip growth was in 20% cash, and I'm just giving you an example, and the market was up 10%, the blue chip market was up 10%, and he had 20% cash, you would only got 8%. 
That's called cash drag and it hurts your portfolio. It hurts your returns over the long haul. So think about it for just a minute. You have a basket of stocks and bonds. You have a manager that you're paying a fee that about 75% of the time he underperforms whatever index he says to measure. You might be paying 12B1 fees. You certainly have a transaction cost inside, the turnover inside the portfolio. You probably have cash drag. When it's all said and done, we see fees anywhere from 2 to 4% not being unusual. And that's scary. If you think about the market returning 6 to 8%, and we can argue whether that's a real number or not, but if the market's averaging 6 to 8% and you're losing 2 to 4% in fees, how can you truly be making money? It's just absolutely insane. And, and quite honestly, I don't think people really understand that that's what they're doing to themselves. So, you know, that, that addresses all of the built-in fees with mutual fund, but it doesn't address one of the other issues that, that you and I have with the mutual ugly funds, issues. and that's taxes. There's tax ramifications when it comes to mutual funds, especially if you're holding them in a brokerage account. So this doesn't affect you if they're inside of IRAs or 401ks or any type of retirement account, any type of retirement account is the fact that all that buying and selling that this mutual fund manager is doing anytime someone gives them money or, or takes money away. We talked about the transaction costs, but we didn't talk about anytime you buy and sell anything in the stock market, you're buying it and selling it either for a gain or for a loss. And the thing that people don't realize is that if we go back to 2008, when 2009 rolled around, we had clients coming into our office, you know, wanting to know, what can I do? Look what happened to me in 2008. What changes can I make to my portfolio? Oh, by the way, I lost 20, 30, 40%. And I'm paying taxes on this money. How is that possible? How can I pay taxes when I lost money? Right. You lose 30%, 40%, and you still have to pay taxes. Insult and injury. And keep in mind, we talk about those transaction costs. Those transaction costs are there regardless of whether you personally buy and sell or not. And as we're talking about taxes, the taxes are there even if you held the position. It doesn't matter that you didn't sell. It was all those other people selling that caused the manager to sell inside the portfolio and to sell inside the mutual fund. And because he had to sell inside the mutual fund, he's creating taxable events that you then suffer the consequences of, have to put it on your tax return. So yes, it is true that you lost 20 to 40% and you had to pay taxes on it. And that is just like getting kicked in the shins twice. It is just <laughs> absolutely crazy. Why would you subject yourself to that type of taxation? And, and, and that's why, you know, when Ryan and I are, are talking about our radio show, when we're, when, we're, when we're seeing our own personal clients, we're always just, it always just drives us crazy when we see that some advisor is not paying attention to the tax implications of what they're recommending. Or, or quite frankly, it kills us when we see CPAs and these tax returns coming in from other tax preparers that have never had a conversation with their clients about, you need to be more tax efficient. You need to take a more proactive tax uh, approach towards your investments. And and mutual funds, from my perspective, are, are probably the most taxed investment vehicle out there because people do not understand how to truly hold them. So not only are there fees that you don't know about, not only are there transaction costs that you don't know about, not only are there taxes that, that you were told you had to pay because, you know, well, when you make money, you got to pay taxes on it. No, that's a stupid thing. No, no, that is not true. Just because you made money doesn't mean you have to go pay your taxes. How about paying the taxes, one, at the lowest tax rate you can? How about only when you actually make money, not when you lose it? And how about paying taxes when you choose to pay the taxes? You can control them if you choose to. 
but it's hard to do that with a mutual fund. But that's not even the end of the problems as far as I'm concerned. The fact is that you know when it comes to mutual funds, they sell at 4 p.m. Mike, we've talked about you know, two of the reasons we don't like mutual funds. We've talked about the fees that people don't know about. We've talked about the hidden tax aspect of them. But the third problem that you and I have with mutual funds is your ability to buy and sell them. You know, mutual funds trade at four o'clock every single day, unlike a stock. Stocks, ETFs, you can buy in the middle of the day. If you say, I want to buy it at 9.35, it goes through. With the mutual fund, if you say, I want to buy this mutual fund at 9.30 in the morning when it opens, it doesn't actually buy it until four o'clock that evening. So whatever happens throughout that entire day, any type of economic crisis, whatever Congress says, whatever the president says, whatever happens during that day, that's what happens to your mutual fund. So if you say, I want to sell my mutual fund at 930 in the morning and the stock market drops 900 points that day. Like a flash crash. Like a flash crash, like we saw in 2015. And we saw some of those, this 2018, we saw some of those days. It doesn't matter that you said, I want to sell it when the price was at $50. If it all of a sudden is $30 at the end of the day, that's where your mutual fund is sold. And so they're liquid in a sense, but you cannot control the price as effectively as you can with some other investments out there. Cheaper investments, more tax efficient investments. Even if you want to defend them, you know, because if you own stocks or other investment vehicles, there are strategies that you can use that you can employ inside your accounts to defend them against the downside of the market so that if things are going wrong, you can make rapid adjustments if needed. You cannot do that with a mutual fund. And and as Ryan have said, there's all sorts of reasons from our perspective that mutual funds typically are not the best investment for most of America. Now, there are some reasons why people should use mutual funds. I mean, for example, if if you're trying to put $50 a month or $100 away um, every month into an investment vehicle and, you know, that's a hard way to invest in stocks because of the, the cost of the stock transaction. That's a hard way to buy an exchange-traded fund because of the cost of the, the, the exchange-traded fund to, to pay that ticket charge, that, that purchase price every time you buy it. So certainly doing systematic investments, smaller dollar amounts into a mutual fund, that makes perfect sense. You know, We strongly encourage people to save money in their retirement accounts. Retirement accounts typically have mutual funds. You don't have a whole lot of choice there. Now, we've started to see some some other alternatives come into retirement accounts. But right now, most retirement accounts, especially employer-sponsored retirement accounts, are funded and use mutual funds. So there, there are some reasons why you need to use mutual funds, and I get it. But from our perspective, if you're going to use the mutual fund, at least truly understand what the mutual fund is, how it works, and truly understand when it benefits you and when you should look at other alternatives. And that is exactly why you should be listening to these podcasts, and that's why you should be giving our offices a call if you have questions, if you want to truly understand how mutual funds are impacting you, how the fees are working for you, the pros and cons of what you're doing with your mutual fund portfolio right now. You can call our offices at 866-597-1040, 866-597-1040, or you can even send us an email at askmike at the savvyinvestortv.com. So, Mike, before we wrap up, we talked about commissions. That's the one, another problem with mutual funds. And most people may not know they're paying a commission because they're just not paying attention or their advisor didn't fully explain it to them. But and it's not to say that all mutual funds have commissions, right? We're correct, not saying that. Correct, correct. But the easy way to tell is if you look at your statement and, you know, it'll say American Funds Capital Income Builder Class. And if it says A, B, or C involved, 
there is a commission involved. And the commission rates vary across company. They vary across mutual funds. And, you know, you're either paying a small commission up front and an ongoing commission. You're paying a big commission up front or you're paying a commission on the back end. Somehow, some way, you're paying a commission. And if you think about it this way, if you put $100 into a mutual fund and it pays a 5% commission, instead of having $100 worth of that mutual fund, you have $95. You have to make up that 5% before you even make any money. Right. The, the, to make up that 5% just to get back to even. You have to be aware of those types of things when it comes to investing your money. You have to be aware of the fees. You have to be aware of commissions. And you have to be aware of those taxes because those are all big parts of retirement investing. So, Ryan, I think we've done a, a really good job about explaining the nuances of mutual funds, the, some of the pros, some of the cons, some of the things that we should consider. And if you have any questions for us, you can always give us a call at 866-597-1040, 866-597-1040. Or you can follow us on the web and you can also email us at askmike at thesavvyinvestortv.com, askmike at thesavvyinvestortv.com. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you have suggestions on future topics, things you want to know more information about so that you can make better choices, so that you can be a better steward of your money, please let us know. Again, give us a call at 866-597-1040. We look forward to talking with you. Thanks for listening to the Savvy Investor Radio Podcast, brought to you by ProStatus Financial. For more info on Mike and Ryan, to schedule a consultation or upcoming workshop and radio showtimes, go to thesavvyinvestortv.com. Financial professionals are not licensed in all 50 states. Mike Kinnett and Ryan Herbert are not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Investment advisory services offered through ProStatus Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products. Insurance licensed in Maryland.